Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. The Annie Fry Show YouTube live chat poll of the day is sponsored by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's a- All right, you need to take the time and get the full picture. Don't get me wrong. I love the ladies. I mean, they rev my engine, but they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. This is the Annie Fry Show. Welcome to the Annie Fry Show. Thank you for being with us here this afternoon, 1206 in St. Louis. And we are happy to be with you here on 97.1 FM Talk. The big news of today is it's kind of funny the way I found out because I found out through Brad from a DM. I was on my way to the chiropractor this morning and he's like, Hunter Biden. I should read exactly what he said. Hunter Biden is at the congressional hearing. And I'm like, I just messaged back on the way to the Cairo. And he's like, he's not under oath. He's just there. And I, and I thought it took me until I got into the chiropractor's office to be like, wait a second. What does that even mean? Because I wasn't watching any of it. Well, it means exactly what that is and only what that is. Hunter Biden was was compelled to a deposition, a closed-door deposition, to testify in front of this House committee that is investigating him. He said no. And he didn't say, no, I'm not going to come in and testify at your deposition. He said, I will come do a public deposition. I will come do a public hearing. Anything that you can ask me, I'm willing to say in public. It's very grandiose and and big of him. You might remember Steve Bannon doing something very similar to that. And the Democrats tried to nail Steve Bannon to the floor because of it. Well, when Hunter Biden decided not to show up for that deposition, what did he do? 
He went to the other side of the Capitol building, held a press conference, blew off the House uh, representatives, the people who represent you, which really means he blew you off because we sent those people there. And he said, no, I'm not playing your game, which it's not a game. It's just, you know, it's you have if you're compelled, you have to go. And he chose he chose not to do it. So today they are holding a hearing to hold him in contempt. Once again, Hunter Biden shows up. Hunter Biden shows up in the hearing room and sits in the front row with his lawyers. Now, I haven't seen it yet specifically. Did you were you like doing producer things was, and this unfolds? Yeah, I was doing producer things and this unfolds. So I didn't see him actually walk in, but I looked up and was like the Chiron on Fox is like Hunter Biden surprises or drops in or something like that to the to house hearing. That's where you have good eyes, but you still squint in the TV. Yeah, like, like, what's going what on does here? What this mean? Give and then, coffee. like, they, they, like, Comer was talking, and then it cuts, and Hunter Biden is sitting there with his entourage with this smug look on his face. So, <laughs> I mean, I have to say, baller move. <laughs> if, if, I, I don't know how this ends. Nobody knows how this ends. Um, but I, I, when I heard that and was listening to some of the coverage after I got done at the chiropractor, I was sitting, I was like, wow, this guy has a set. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it really, it really blows my mind. Harris Faulkner said on Outnumbered, she said that she's getting text messages from people who were there in the hearing area and in the Capitol building where all this was taking place and said there was an enormous amount of cameras present. Yes. Hunter Biden is creating a documentary about himself. Uh, Bill Hemmer floated this idea that he was there to create a stunt for his documentary. Let me pose this to you. And I haven't been uh, satiated with all of this coverage this morning. So if I'm saying something that somebody has already said, I'm not swiping it from them, but I will, unlike Claudine Gay, credit that person (laughs) (laughs) when I'm corrected and very quickly Does it not lend to the idea that Joe Biden has nothing to do with what Hunter Biden is doing on any given day when Hunter Biden shows up and does something that's that just seems to be absolutely the dumbest thing that he could possibly do? And you go, why would you do this? This is stupid. If if, If Hunter Biden were taking the advice of the man who we entrust the presidency of the United States, you would think that the president would go, don't do that. Don't do that. Why would you do that? That would be ridiculous. You can't flout the law when I'm the chief executive officer of the country. You can't do Don't do that. So the more rogue Hunter Biden seems, doesn't that help the case of Joe Biden? On the surface. Isn't that all that matters? I mean, yeah, we're kind of at that point now, but I yeah, almost could be orchestrated. Like, look, you need to look like you're going rogue and you're doing oh, no, the stupidest I'm, thing. No, I'm I'm agreeing with that. I'm saying that the idea and the plan here is make Hunter Biden look as unmaintainable mm-hmm. as possible. Because when Hunter Biden is out there acting a fool, you would think that if he were coordinating with his father, this is not the kind of behavior that would come of that coordination. Yeah. So it takes you and, and it makes you go, Hunter Biden's making a lot yeah. of really wild and rash decisions. He's not... He's not working with his father. His father, if he were working with his father, his father would tell him not to do this. Yeah. Makes him look almost uncontrollable. Yes. 
which I think is the point. We are going to, so John Kirby is talking right now. Fox hasn't carried it yet, but we are on the press briefing and we are going to, we have it from the White House, right? Yeah. Can you put your ear on it and find out if he's just blabbing? Sure. All right, because I'm going to play for you. Um, <laughs> Nancy Mace, uh, firebrand in Congress. Nancy Mace, is, that's a name that's starting to evoke dramatic reactions from a lot of people who pay a lot of attention to what's going on in Congress. Well, she's a spitfire, and this is what she said to Hunter while he was sitting there. It does not matter who you are, where you come from, or who your father is or your last name. Yes, I'm looking at you, Hunter Biden, as I'm speaking to you. You are not above the law at all. The facts in this case are crystal clear. This committee used and issued a lawful subpoena to Hunter Biden, a critical witness in this committee's investigation into Biden family corruption. Hunter Biden and his lawyers did not claim privilege of any kind because clearly he has none. They didn't contest the legitimacy of our reasons for issuing the subpoena, no reasons, because they clearly are legitimate and yet he refused to comply so she goes on and lays into hunter biden just a wee bit more let me here. be clear this should not be a partisan issue if congress issues a subpoena you show up period this is not a responsibility we take lightly it brings no joy for us to do this but the president's <laughs> son broke the law and must be held accountable in the same way anybody else mm. would i urge my colleagues on both sides of the aisle to do so. And my last message to you, Hunter Biden, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. So Nancy Mace making her point there. And uh, it, then then there's a challenge to whether or not, I, I think I sent you, I don't know if that's the clip I sent you, but we need to get the challenge from Nancy Mace. She's going back and forth with one of the guys there who's trying to say that that, that he'll vote for this this uh, contempt if he'll, if the Republicans will support adding all of these other people, which includes folks like Jim Jordan, which is a name that always comes up when we're talking about these types of subpoenas that aren't, that aren't uh, followed by people on the other side of the aisle. And we're going to ask Will Scharf all these questions at 125. Is he in studio? Yeah, he's in studio. That's fantastic. I've got a lot of questions for him. And the que when we, every time we book Will Scharf, by the time he gets in here, the subject has changed seven times. <laughs> So send us your Will Sharf questions. He's a uh, prosecutor. He knows these things. He's helped with confirmations of Supreme Court justices. I need to know everything he thinks about the Hunter Biden scenario. And we'll talk to him about that at 125. Do not go anywhere. When anybody is asking about why it matters that Hunter Biden has to testify behind closed doors, there is a process for these things. The process is generally followed. For some reason, Hunter Biden doesn't want to do that. Those pro the, the testimony that is given behind closed doors, while it's not public in the sense that it's consumable in real time for the public, they are videotaped, they are documented. All of everything that is in there, it, none of it is secretive in the sense that it doesn't belong to the American people. They're long, they're arduous, they're uncomfortable for everybody. That's just the process. Now, as I mentioned, there are people who, uh, Mark Meadows, Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro, Jim Jordan, those are some Republicans I can think of off the top of my head. I think Dan Scavino might, was Dan Scavino one of them? Is that right? I think so, yes. Uh, these are all people who have 
turned down subpoenas in the past. And, and the Democrats, when they were in control and uh, Jamie Raskin, who was in control, when they had that that authority, they had a specific outlook on it. And I'm not here to say that Republicans always good, Democrats always bad. I actually need more details on all of the individual cases and to go by a case by case basis uh, to see what it is I would think about all of those individual in, uh, entities. But I think it's important when you listen to Jamie Raskin talking in this hearing today about how how compliant Hunter Biden was willing to be to 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 bring his testimony to the public. And it wasn't good enough for the Republicans, but he was willing to comply. He said he'd he'd do it anywhere, anytime in public. And he has nothing to hide. Yeah, we know we actually Hunter. The problem is, is that you should be more compelled to hide some certain particular things that we all now know about you because you were so irresponsible to leave your computers behind and so incredibly dedicated to documenting everything. When Jamie Raskin is pushing for the Republicans to understand why it's not necessary for Hunter Biden to testify behind closed doors before he does the public hearing, the Republicans said, we'll do both. But you have to come behind and do a closed door deposition first. It's what everybody does. That's the routine. Let's rewind the tape just a wee bit to Congressman Raskin in July of 22. Would it be closed door with Bannon or do you want to, because he could go up there and pontificate if it was a public live hearing. The way that we have treated every single witness is the same, that they come in, they talk to the committee. Uh, If they're going to take a deposition, they're sworn under oath. It's videotaped. It's recorded. uh, And then we take it from there. So that's just that's that was the Raskin way for Steve Bannon. And I think that the most compelling part of that clip in Jamie Raskin's words in 2022, when the person on the other side of this deposition was a political opponent of his, his very calm, rational uh, manner in which he presents, this is how we do things. Now, Steve Bannon said, pound sand, and they threw the book at him. I, I don't understand how they expect us to have the shortest of short memories. But I guess that we do. Just like Brad was saying before, on the surface, it looks like Hunter Biden is completely attached to Joe Biden because why would he bring the circus to town into that congressional hearing and really flip the bird to the rule and order of law that the Democrats were just using two years later against Republicans? Uh, My hunch says that Hunter Biden needs to look like he operates on his own. And it's very important. And that's a hunch. I will watch in the coming uh, days, weeks, and months to see if there are more things that lend to that hunch. But I think it's important to understand for uh, uh, politically speaking, politically speaking, so important to highlight that. Politically speaking, that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, separate people, Separate interests, separate jobs, separate, 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 separate. Isn't it obvious? Look what Hunter Biden's willing to do. A reporter was able to get one uh, question into Hunter Biden, I guess, on his way out. What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden, on the way out? Do you know who? The, do you know which report? You don't know which reporter that was. 
Was it a reporter? It wasn't like a congressman, was it? I, I It was a reporter because it was Hunter and his lawyer was standing there, and this guy just shouted that question in off from off camera. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who uh, has been on the show before, and she's got her, her book out, MTG. She, when, in, in that conversation that we had with Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, I'm going to be honest and say that she kind of changed my opinion of her a little bit, talking to her person to person. She was not as brash as I thought she would be, and and she kind of had an edge to her that was different than what we consume in bits and pieces, like I'm about to play for you here. This is what uh, happened when Marjorie Taylor Greene was recognized and Hunter was in Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Excuse me, Hunter. Apparently, you're afraid of my words. Uh, Here goes. (laughs) Oh. I like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. I think it's clear and obvious for everyone watching this hearing today that Hunter Biden is terrified of strong conservative Republican women because he can't even face my words as I was about to speak to him. What a coward. Well, MTG sitting there and laying into Hunter Biden, you might remember that previous hearing where MTG used some of Hunter Biden's own images blown up. I don't know why that had to happen. (laughs) Big poster boards in a congressional hearing. No blurring. uh, No editing. It's Hunter Biden in all his glory? (laughs) I don't know. I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. Let's take a quick break. Keith Kellogg is going to be with us. The Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg is going to be with us to talk to us about a host of uh, foreign policy issues. We'll talk a little bit about Uh, the defense secretary as well. When we come back, Keith Kellogg, when we return. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Annie Fry Show. We're grateful that you're here with us this afternoon. Uh, we've got a great show here planned for you. Our next guest, I'm going to get to here in just a second, is going to give us a little bit of an update on something that hasn't been talked about as much due to the Secretary of Defense's uh, rogue hospitalization, quiet hospitalization. But the Secretary of State has come out in the last couple days, and he said this. Israel must be a partner to Palestinian leaders 
who are willing to lead their people in living side by side in peace with Israel uh, and uh, as neighbors. And Israel must, be, uh, must stop taking steps that undercut Palestinians' ability to govern themselves effectively. Extremist settler violence carried out with impunity, settlement expansion, demolitions, evictions, all make it harder, not easier, for Israel to achieve lasting peace and security. So that's the Secretary of State talking about how Israel needs to partner with Palestinian leaders who are living, uh, willing to live side by side in peace. Hmm. Well, let's get to the last quote before we get to our Palestinian guest. civilians must be able to return home as soon as conditions allow. They must not be pressed to leave Gaza. As I told the prime minister, the United States unequivocally rejects any proposals advocating for the resettlement of Palestinians outside of Gaza. And the prime minister reaffirmed to me today that this is not the policy of Israel's government. Well, let's see what uh, retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg has to say about this from our Secretary of State. Welcome back to the show, General. We appreciate you being here with us today. Andy, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Look, you know, I listened to Tony Blinken. And I, this is one of the frustrations that I have here in Washington, D.C. is people tell you all the problems and never give you the solution. And, you know, I could hear him saying you need to do this. This needs to be done. But they don't, they don't give you an end state. Well, how are you going to do this? Who are you going to talk to? Who's the interlocutor that, that you've got to be able to talk to both the Palestinians and also the Israeli government? And, you know, you, you talk about these issues, but you don't give me, okay, how do I get out of it? And this is, they're not very good about it. Look, I will tell you how they get out of this is something we realized in the last administration. It's going to have to be economically how they get out of it. You've got to give peace, people a reason to stop killing each other. And part of that is you create an economic environment that they can grow from. If you don't have that kind of environment, they're just going to keep fighting. And the Palestinians, you know, they're the ones who created this problem with Hamas. They're the ones who went into Israel. There was no forces inside Gaza when this happened because Ariel Sharon decades ago pulled them out. And they're the ones who started the assault. And the Israelis, understandably, came back really hard after watching that massacre on 7 October. And their job is to eradicate Hamas, and they've said that. And that's a terrorist organization. And you can't push back on the Israelis. You've got to say to them, look, we kind of get it. We kind of understand what you're doing. And you have to eradicate that political movement of Hamas that is focused in on terror. So I, I get, I really do get frustrated, Annie. A long comment to a pretty short question. Mm. I always get frustrated when I hear the politicians around this town talk, and I just tell them, like you would, and anybody else would in the business world and the commercial world. Okay, I got it. What's the solution? Well, I don't know. They never give you one. Yeah. That's the frustration I've got. Well, and you know, when there isn't an actual solution to the words that are being said, it feels very political, not policy-based. But like, yeah. what do the people want to hear, and how do we make it so that we can say it, so we can get the credit for it? I don't. I'm wondering how this uh, this brokered peace that the Secretary of State is trying to reach. How is he getting Palestinian leaders who are willing to live side by side in peace with Israel? Because my understanding is October. Maybe I'm wrong, but Israel was living side by side in peace with uh, Hamas next door. And then Hamas is the one who decided to kick the door down. And we know what happened next. Yeah, it, it was. And look, here's how we handled it. And we were criticized in the last administration until it worked. And then they said, oh, it was a good idea. I mean, the, the whole intent, we went and talked to the Palestinians and we realized they weren't going to come across and work for peace in the region. You had Fatah, you had Hamas. You had the Palestinian Authority and Abbas, and, and nobody was really controlling anybody. And we said, look, we're going to go around you. We're going to talk to all the partners. 
where we talk to the Saudis, where we talk to the Emiratis. And that's when we came up with the Abraham Accords. And we said to the Palestinians in a briefing that we set up in Bahrain, that, by the way, they refused to attend. And we said, this is the way you get out of it. And it's all based off economics and, and restructuring and redeveloping Gaza, which is right on the Mediterranean. I mean, you talk about beachfront property. Mm. It's right there. And, and they wouldn't even talk to us about it. So we went around them. And that's when Tony Blair, and I sat next to Tony Blair when the Abraham Accords were assigned and, and the residence in, in the White House residence itself, where we had a lunch. I sat right next to him. And he said to me, you guys got this one right. We had it wrong. Because they said everything has to be done through the Palestinians. No, it doesn't. Bring them across. Make them already understand this is how we're going to get things done. Look, you've got one group that's governing Gaza, which is Hamas. They threw out another terrorist group, Fatah. And the Israelis are not going to work with them. So the question is, how do you do it? It's going to have to be – historically, the United States has always been the key interlocutor. You know, that's when you know, we brought it back to Camp David – the Palestinians and the Israelis or whoever, we took them you know, in Oslo. We always kind of led the way. That's not happening. So what you're going to see is a lot of talk but a lot of fighting. And you're going to say the Israelis continue to strike at Hamas until somebody figures a way how to come out of this. And right now, there's no solution. Of course, it's been that way since biblical times. Yeah. But we had a way out of it before, and it was just thrown away. We're speaking with retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. He's the former national security advisor to the Trump administration, the co-chair of the Center for American Security at America First Policy Institute. Uh, I, I guess my assumption here from what I little I know in my frequent talks with you that really helps get me up to speed is you can't really have a conversation about some sort of peaceful two-state solution and ignore what's going on with Iran and that this conversation uh, has gotten to this point globally because of American softness towards Iran. Is that still the case? Yeah, it is, Annie, and it's just not Iran. You know, when you look at it, I mean, very honestly, I'm looking at the world right now, and it's a very complex world right now, and there's a lot of problems in it. I don't care if it's the Far East where you've got Kim Jong-un with firing off his brand-new ICBMs or testing nuclear devices, and you've got China, you've got the Middle East problem that's going on, and then you've got Ukraine and Russia. These are major issues and major problems, and they're on the president's plate, and they're on the national security team's plate for the by the administration. And you just can't whistle past the graveyard with these. You've got to handle them, and you've got to work with them and figure a way either through it or out of the, the box that you're in. And the longer these go, my experience has, has been that – the longer you let a problem fester, it gets worse. It is harder to put back in the box. Example, when you've got the Houthis shooting at ships and shutting down commerce uh, and, and basically violating freedom of navigation into the Red Sea, uh, you know that's a major problem, but we've just kind of ignored it. If you'd shut that down early, things might have been different. You go to the source, which is the Iranians. You do something that's dramatic. When I mean by dramatic, not you know, like like a movie dramatic, but something very, very big and hard that people get you get people's attention and they can't tend to back off. You know, we did that from Af- when before, and I'm proud to say we did that with Afghanistan. We did that with the Middle East. We we looked at each one that was really hard. We attacked each one hard. We made some very tough decisions. Some that were filled with risk, but risk is part of the issue. It's part of the pro- you know problem set. You have to accept risk. You know, like when we killed Soleimani, we knew there was going to be risk to that, but it quieted down the entire Middle East for over a year. Yeah. So, um, you know, we worked with Afghanistan and the Doha Agreement. People didn't like the Doha Agreement. No American was killed the last year. 
uh, and no America was killed in Afghanistan the last year we were in office because we set the process working. And that's how you have to handle it. And it's not being done. And I mean, it's they've got more than enough problems to handle right now. And, and very candidly, and I know it's a harsh assessment, they're not doing very well at it. Yeah, it, it really seems that way. And it's hard to look at a map and not see a very close adjacent crisis unfolding across the globe. Let me ask you a broad question. You can answer this however you like. Uh, we're speaking with uh, General Keith Kellogg here on the Annie Fry Show. Is America under attack anywhere right now? Well, it's, uh, when you say under attack, it's an interesting comment. When you, is there a direct assault other than an open border, which is a national security issue? And I talked to somebody today. I said, you know, really, well, there's no border in the South. That's an attack on our national liberty. So that we get under attack in, in what you're looking at, illegal immigration, and it coming across the southern border, that's under attack. But if you're talking kinetic attack, no. But if you're talking if you're talking economic attack, sure we are. If you're talking diplomatic attack, sure we are. So you, people wouldn't say as America under attack. People didn't tend, Andy, to think immediately of something kinetic, a war. Mm-hmm. But it's much more than that because when you look at national security, it's a very broad area. You just can't define it militarily because when I was in the national security arena, you had to look at it militarily. You had to look at it economically. You had to look at it diplomatically. And a lot of that was based on the people that were in the leadership positions. So it, that's a broad question. My answer would be generically the answer is yes, because we're under assault. Our values are under assault. Uh, we have soldiers under assault in the Middle East. Uh, we have our borders being assaulted as well. So it's one of those, it's how you define it. And I define it pretty broadly. So now I'll close the circle. The answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're speaking with the retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. You were the former national security advisor to the Trump administration. And it the world did not look like this when Donald Trump was in office. It was just a different time. And there was a lot of attention to those different types of things that you were pointing out. A lot of people think being attacked is like a hot war, war where everybody sees it, knows it, can identify it and say, yes, this is very bad. But a lot of the strength that was imposed throughout the world, American strength, was based through economic efforts by the Trump administration. What has the Biden administration done with those efforts by the Trump administration? And let's say a Donald Trump or somebody who likes that America first uh, agenda, if they were to win in November of 2024, what could they do to what Joe Biden has done to what Trump did? Yeah, and another great question, Andy, because you almost have to reset the battlefield. What I mean by reset, because they're not doing anything. And there, there's, it goes back to what Blinken said earlier. There's a lot of talk, but there's no action behind it. You know, you've got to be able to talk, and then you actually have to execute what you're talking about. And and somebody asked me a, a very similar question. They said, well, how long would it take? I said, you can almost fix it immediately. And they go, what are you talking about? I said, look, your adversaries, and including and your allies— all look at the leadership in the White House because that's the prime level of leadership, commander in chief level. And if that changes, if you want somebody like a Trump, if he becomes a presumptive nominee of the Republican Party and then he runs and he wins, well, everybody knows what he did for four years. So then everybody starts to reset because they said, oh, here we go again. We know what happened four years. We got a good understanding. And they will recalibrate what they're doing. And the same with the Biden administration. They kind of know what they've got. So the reset can handle, happen almost immediately because of the personalities involved. Because all of this is based on 
leadership. I mean, example, we have you know a navy, a very powerful naval force in the Mediterranean and in the Persian Gulf region. Well, it can be as powerful as you want it to be, but if you haven't got the will to execute or the will to go through and, and conduct some type of operation, then that powerful military force is is feckless. It's not going to be used at all. Nobody's going to worry about it. The Houthis aren't worried about it. They've said they're going to keep responding. This is an organization that most people can't, the country they can't find on a map, and the leadership they can't figure in Wikipedia. You know, it's one of those, who are these guys? But they're basically shutting down 12% of the world's commerce, infecting freedom of navigation in the Red Sea, and we haven't really done anything about it. And they said, well, we've stood up a task force called Prosperity Guardian. It hadn't done anything. And here's the problem. People are voting with one. That the, the, the merchants are voting with their fleets. They're just not putting them through. But the both the um, Spanish and the Italians and the French all opted out of Prosperity Guardian. And they said, we're going to take care of our own vessels. And the French are escorting their own ships through the Red Sea. That's that's a lack of confidence in what we're going to do. So you know, put this all in a big bucket. It's just not a good world to be in right now. Well, I want to I don't want to take up too much of your time. We're speaking with retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. One last question before we go. You're talking about a lack of leadership. And I think we can see that, of course, in the foreign policy and national security concerns, as well as a lot of domestic issues. Do you have any comments about the defense secretary debacle over the course of the last couple of weeks? Does that actually cripple our ability to do what we need to do to keep this country safe? Yeah, because it was a judgment lapse and it's reckless and irresponsible for what he did. And I don't know. I know Lloyd Austin, but. Look, he was one of the two national command authorities. It's civilian control of the military. The president, all the orders go through the president, president to uh, the, the secretary of defense and the secretary of defense to his combat commanders. For example, let's use central command with Eric Carrillo, the four-star. It would go from Biden to Austin to Carrillo. That's how it works. When he's not in there, there's nobody in between. So the, the chain of command is broken down. And that's actually reckless and irresponsible. And Lloyd Austin knows better. And everybody knows better. That's where you people are starting to go, oh, how did that happen? You know, look, I'll be very honest. When I when I was on the national security team in, in, in the Trump administration, I had had my hip replaced. I went in and told the president, Mr. President, I'm going to be out of action for a couple of days. I'm going to go get – I'm going to be under you know, going to a general, get my hip replaced, and come back and say, how are you doing? He didn't even tell the president that. And that's – I just that's, I just can't fathom that he did that. And, he, and we used to always track – the, the Secretary of Defense, because obviously he's important because he's one of the National Command Authorities, he's also sixth in line to the presidency. And you, you look at this and you go, you can't do that. And his entire chain of command broke. And that that's why I think it's really hard for me to understand they, because they know better. So this was a big miss by them, and it was a judgment lapse. You know, there's a way out of it. I think if, there, if, if I was in the administration, if I was the White House Chief of Staff, I'd walk into Lloyd. And I'd say to him, Lloyd, what you need to do is tender your resignation, knowing fully well the president will not accept it. So then you've kind of covered half of it. But you've got to say to him, I screwed this up. I'm at fault. I'm at fault in, in keeping basically the American people safe and ensuring the civilian uh, control of the military. Bad miss. Well, we will look and see if your advice is taken there. We are very grateful for your time. Thank you for being with us today and weighing in on these issues that are the probably the biggest issues facing us right now. Whether the average American understands what's going on, they definitely want to, and you are a, a great sage in helping us do so. Thanks, Annie. Thanks for having me. Of course. Bye-bye. Retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. He's the former National Security Advisor to the Trump administration, the co-chair of the Center for American Security at America First Policy Institute. On Twitter, at General Kellogg, two L's, two G's.
Go tell him thanks for being on the Annie Fry Show if you enjoy his commentary here. Let's take a quick break. Wiggins America back in studio. How to handle socially awkward situations <laughs> by Ryan Wiggins. I don't, I've, I'm looking forward to this. Um, only coming from the very, very best experts, those at Harvard. <laughs> I feel like we've gone to the well of Harvard more often than not here lately. Why is that? You know what we should do? We should just not tell people it's from Harvard. <laughs> Wiggins America, we come back. Wiggins! Oh! Wiggins! T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. ways to deal with socially awkward situations. I want which... him to, if I were running the board right now, I would just slowly turn the music up louder. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, these are things that I I probably am an expert in these because I create them. Do you <laughs> Do you ever find yourself going, "Oh my gosh, this is awkward?" Yeah, but it's rare. I, I usually fill in the gap pretty well. I can smooth out a situation pretty decently. Would you say that that Ryan is a smoother of awkward situations? Brad? Oh no, 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 no! Ryan is a relisher of awkward situations. Oh, I'm not saying I don't enjoy it. Or him. a manifester. Yes. And an emphasis on the fester. All of those things. Yeah, you can call me uncle if you want. Uh, but all of those things are very, very true. But you know, in the midst of one that I didn't create, I know how to kind of bring it back or push it further. And either way, it's fun. I'm going to go with the latter. By the way, hi, Ethan. Oh, hi there. Leah's got a little vacation time. She worked her butt off through the Christmas break, so we've got Ethan in here. Just wanted to explain that to people. So I'm going to go through a couple situations here and let you know what this Harvard-trained etiquette expert. Harvard. Yeah. All right, Claudine. Clearly they have a, a grasp on the American situation. Talk about awkward. When someone is rude to you. If you find yourself on the receiving end of a sassy remark, you can counter it with kindness and class with just one question. One simple question. Are you okay? <laughs> That's that that is that is an escalation. <laughs> I completely agree. That is an escalation, and I'm not necessarily mad at it. When I read this, I'm like, I'm doing this article right now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? This is a real Harvard-trained etiquette expert, Sarah Jane Ho, saying that she is the best resource on this, and that if you just ask somebody being rude if they're okay, that that will solve that situation. Chris on YouTube says, or say, 
I'm worried about you. <laughs> this, this, I mean, art- yeah. this article is going to be responsible for the deaths of so many boyfriends, husbands, fiancés out there. The Andy Price like, told feel- me to ask me you were okay. <laughs> I say, not husbands. They've learned their lesson. Yeah. They're boyfriends, you're right. Uh, number two, covering when you can't remember someone's name. What do you do in that situation? What do you usually do, Annie? Um... I can't say it out loud because I do it all the time. (laughs) You do it in this office. I know you do. Not in the office. Yes, you do. I'm sure you do. That's why you can't say it right now. There's nobody ever here. (laughs) Well, that's true. What do you do? Okay, we'll go to Ethan then. What do you do when you can't remember someone's name? Do you have a go-to or do you kind of handle it? Sub boss. If it's a dude, it's boss. (laughs) Boss. Don't. There's another. Do not say that to the woman. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do it. Not going to end the way you want. Lady friend. Oh, gosh. What's up, chick? Hey there. How's it going, pal? (laughs) (laughs) You. (laughs) Is it okay? If if somebody forgot your name, let's just round the room real quick, Brad. If somebody who you've met, let's say you've met him five times, maybe it's business related. The business has kind of been cocktail-esque from time to time. Mm -hmm. So there's a little socialization going on. It's not just sitting across. The fifth time you see him and they can't remember your name. Are you offended if they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Your name has slipped my, my memory. Does that offend you? No. I Yeah, I don't worry about that at all. I understand the nature of our – especially, like you were saying, is business-related. The people that I interact with must interact with thousands of me's across their job. What about a church? Uh, <laughs> No, people at my church have forgotten my name. <laughs> Do you care? But, I mean, the question is, if they were like, gosh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. What was your name again? No. Nope, I don't care. Ethan? Um, like are we still on the like fifth fifth time yes. part? Uh at a church, I feel like I guess it kind of depends. If it's like a if it's a pastor or something, I guess there's one side that's kind of understanding, but there's also another side that that's their job is mm-hmm. to connect with people. So What if you would have shown up for work today and I would have forgotten your name? I would have been <laughs> deeply hurt. Oh. Yes, yes, you should. <laughs> so deeply hurt. You should. George is back working for us again. I love him. Oh yeah, me too. He's so curious. Yeah. <laughs> Could call you hamburger. Anyway. <laughs> well, I, I will say that if it's 5 times in, my, fe- my feelings are hurt a little bit if somebody goes, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Although that probably is the best way to this handle it. This played out exactly how I expected. Oh, yeah? Brad's like, don't, just ask me your name. And you're like, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm a little bit hurt. Not bad. But the Harvard-trained expert in etiquette says you should never let on that you've forgotten somebody's name. Like just practice falling down instead. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, so look over at this other thing I have to do right now. You just run away from the person. Now it says to, to avoid a potentially awkward situation, tell the person you'd like to keep in touch. What I like to do is say, I got a new phone recently and all my contacts were wiped out. So just lying, apparently. Uh, can you put in your number again? She says, but that doesn't give then you the person's name. Then you just get the number. Yeah. Another option is enlisting the help of a friend. If you're at a party, just introduce them to somebody else. That way, they'll introduce themselves. Check this out. The way that you do it with the phone is you ask them how to spell their name. It's B-O-B. Yeah, but what if it's Brad? (laughs) Well, you're asking about their last name. And then you say, oh, your last name. I'm sorry. What if it's Smith? It could be with an E on the end. Yeah. Or it could be spelled (laughs) with a Y. Is that Smith or Smith? Is it like, yeah. (laughs) But it's like spelled like the... No, it's Smith. You know, I dated a guy. I've told the story on the air before. Before I ended up dating Jared, Jared was dating somebody else casually. And I was 
we were maybe going to start dating, and I went to away for like two nights and came back, and he's dating this other girl. Ooh. She asked him out. She's a nice girl and everything, but I thought it was going to be Sounds me. Sounds like she's very nice. And <laughs> then, very friendly. I don't like the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> There's another guy who was interested in me, and he asked me out multiple times, so I finally was like, yeah, I'll go out with you just to make Jared jealous, mm-hmm. but I never knew what his last name was when I was dating him, and I kept forgetting when he would tell me. That's how <laughs> uninterested I was. <laughs> I remember that story now. Yeah. You have and you know that. what I did? We would go to we would go to a I'll just say a country line dancing bar every week. Golden Corral. Yes. I mean you can dance anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I do. And- <laughs> Whoa, look at that chocolate fountain. Whoa, I'm getting the happy feet. <laughs> uh I would you'd have to show your identification to get in. And I'd like Try to playfully steal his license just so I can try to remember what his last name what was. What is playfully what is, stealing someone's license? Oh, let me, let me oh, have that. I, 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 let me get you that license. You can't date a guy for, for, for like weeks and be like, what was your name again? I, oh, I know, I know, but how were you? Were you like, oh, we're just so in love? Let me see your license. Do you I can now guarantee, know, I can you, guarantee you know his last name? If I sit here and think about it, and I can guarantee you we were not talking about being <laughs> so in love. <laughs> Good gosh. I like you nothing so much at this stage no. in our relationship. Let me tell you this. I if I if I was dating a guy, I never dated guys at this at like more than one guy at a time. But he was the guy who I most dated and wasn't like in a relationship with. Okay. <laughs> I don't This is this is what I found out. I think that guy was trying to use me too. So <laughs> Oh good. Yeah. Well, well that I, worked out for everybody. It didn't because he didn't get what he wanted. Oh. 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 Yeesh. oh. <laughs> oh. Is it time for break yet? Holy. Nice. It's about that time. So he wasn't trying to this is about awkward use moments, right? you to make somebody else jealous. Pancakes. <laughs> Pancakes. Uh, no, it didn't work. And I got Jared. Winner. <laughs> I, I guess you are. Winner chicken dinner. I got to tell you. There are more of these, and they are great. Well, hold on to them. I will. We'll revisit here. Okay. DeRoy Murdoch and Will Sharp in studio in the 1 o'clock hour. Get more at 971talk.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 